Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Happy New Year, Money Clinic listeners. If you've got a money problem that's bugging you, then we want to hear about it. Make it your resolution to email us, money at ft.com, with your ideas for topics we should be covering in upcoming episodes. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. Just before Christmas, I hosted an event aimed at helping people navigate the cost of living crisis. It was called Young, Gifted and Broke, and it was organised by the FT's Financial Literacy and Inclusion Campaign, otherwise known as Flick. Well, we were inundated with questions. How to invest when you're cash-strapped? What to do if your portfolio's taken a turn for the worse? How to overcome mental barriers about money? And what to do if you think your landlord is unfairly demanding more rent? Well, I was on hand with a panel of four experts to tackle these questions and many, many more. So listen up and take notes. Coming up, I'm going to play you a recording of that event. It's packed with tips and guidance that could help you really rethink your financial plan this year. But it comes with our usual health warning. The episode is intended as general information and does not constitute individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. Welcome, everybody, to Young, Gifted and Broke, your guide to navigating the cost of living crisis. We're thrilled that you can join us this snowy lunchtime in London from the heart of the FT's headquarters. Now, I'm going to introduce today's panel to you one by one, and I'm going to get them all to start off by giving me their one top tip about how they are navigating the cost of living crisis, starting with the wonderful Margot Dubois. She is the founder of a new finance app that you might have noticed called Your Juno. It's for women and non-binary people. But frankly, Margot, the advice you give, it's great news for anyone who wants to follow you on Instagram or check out the modules on, on your app. So what's your one tip for everybody watching today? I would say, obviously, money is tight for most people. So make sure that you're maximizing the money that you can get from your employer. So the first thing is really negotiate your salary. Be proactive about it every six months to a year. In our community, we have people who are creating something called a wins folder. Basically, every time they achieve something at work, they take a screenshot of a review, something they've done positively. They can add it onto a folder of their computer. And then when the salary negotiation time comes, they have an amazing record of all the amazing things they've done at work. A wins folder. I I like that very much. Well, great news, obviously, if you're in the private sector, that's going to help you. Public sector, 
Um, <laughs> secondly, let's move on to Timmy Merriman Johnson. Timmy is better known on um, social media as Mr. Money Jar. Timmy, tell us a little bit about why you're here today and what your message is to everybody watching. So where I previously had a monthly finance routine, I realized, hey, I'm actually spending money like every day, multiple times a day. So I actually manage it weekly now. And this has made it way easier for me to remember what I've been spending my money on, way less overwhelming in the current climate, and has given me a much greater sense of control over where my money's going. So a weekly money day is my top tip. Brilliant. Weekly budgeting. Now, our third guest today is Dan Wilson-Craw. He is the Deputy Director of Generation Rent. Tell us a little bit about where you're coming from and what your top tip will be in today's session. Absolutely. So Generation Rent, well, we represent all private renters in, in the UK. Um, my top tip for anyone who's sort of worried about their housing situation is if your landlord is threatening you with a rent increase or an eviction, even if you're, you come to an end of a fixed term and you feel like you need to move out, you actually don't. Basically, as long as your landlord hasn't served a formal notice or uh, a rent increase, then you're, you're still OK. There's, there's still room for negotiation. Brilliant. We're going to go into more detail about that. We've had lots of questions about people worried about, about renting. And last but not least, um, one of our FT columnists is here to join us. Jason Butler better known on social media as JB the Wealth Man. Um, tell us a little <laughs> bit about why you're here today and your top tip for, for people watching. Yeah, um, we had to have someone to bring this sort of age up to a higher level. <laughs> There's all these young uh, guns here. I'm 53, so I grew up in the 70s, so we had a cost of living crisis like unbelievable, 25.8% uh, inflation in 1975. So I grew up all through the 70s with 10 p's in a metre. I know what it's like to have no money and uh, debt collectors knocking on the door more frequently than friends. My top tip is to work out um, what, what job you can afford. What I mean is, rather than say, this is my cost, oh, by the way, I haven't got enough money, say, okay, what does my ideal lifestyle, which includes fun, saving for the future, dealing with the past, day-to-day, -day, whatever it is, and work out what you need to earn from whatever source, what you need, as opposed to what someone's giving you. And then you can work out whether you're in the right job, whether you're in the right uh, sector, because unless you know what good looks like, it's very difficult to achieve it. OK, well, really great tips there. We're going to talk a little bit about investing now, because that was probably the second most common um, question. Should I start investing now or should I wait? That was one that came up quite a lot from people who have um, got a little bit of money spare still. <coughs> but the more common one was, I started investing, but I've lost money now what? Now, Margot, <laughs> you on your, your Gino community have a lot of people who are really having second thoughts about having dabbled in investing, maybe under lockdown when we had more spare cash. Tell us what the, what the lay of the land is. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a common trend. We saw a lot of people have picked up investing during the pandemic. Um, and everyone thought there was an, they were an expert investor because the market was going up every year, the portfolio was in the green, and everyone was very confident. And now what we're seeing is a lot of first-time investors are seeing their portfolio in the red for the very first time, and they're panicking. And so, yeah, in terms of content, I mean, learning what it means to recession-proof your investments and really understanding that investing is a long-term strategy. And we've seen cycles of recessions over and over again, but it never historically has lasted forever. The stock market has always gone back up. So what I recommend to people is just 
getting educated about the things that you've already invested in. Now is the chance to build your financial confidence and really understand how the market works and that'll build your confidence that it's going to go back up again okay. eventually. Um, Timmy? Yeah, I agree with everything Margot's just said. If you look back to the early 20th century, we've actually had a recession at least once every decade, lasting from anywhere from six to 18 months. So it's actually quite a regular feature of a modern day um, economy and the, the stock market does recover. I think it's also important to note with investing that if you pay into a pension, you are an investor already. That money's not sitting there in cash, is being, is being invested. And the reason why we don't think of it that way is because we don't check it. But what you're doing is you're investing over the course of your career. It's like 40, 50 years, and you're investing regular amounts over time. And the idea is that if you do it over a long period of time, with money that you don't need, when you then come to sell those investments, they will have appreciated in value. And on the point about your investments disappearing, we need to distinguish between your investments falling in value and having to sell them at the value that they fall into. So they can reduce in value, but if you don't need to cash them in at that point in time, you haven't lost anything. It's just the value of them. Mm. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest problems. The fundamentals of investing are you must build up an emergency fund so that if you do get to the stage where something bad happens and you need some cash, you don't have to be forced into selling your investments when the market's down. You can leave them alone to hopefully reinflate. But Dan, turning to you now, we have had a great question. Um, I live in London, this person says. There are great opportunities here, but the cost of living is horrific. What do the panel think about the trade-off of moving somewhere else and working remotely? I mean, this presumably is something that gets talked about in the generation rent offices quite a bit. Yeah, London has, has always been a lot more expensive than, than other parts of the country. I think we worked out that even this was, you know, several years ago, the rents were about twice as high as they were in, in the rest of England. But the salaries, the, the average wages were only about 25% higher. Mm. So you earn a bit more, but possibly all of it gets just swallowed up in rent. So let's say someone's watching, they've had their landlord say, you've been here for a year, we're going to put your rent up by 30% um, upon renewal, which is not uncommon um, mm. from what Money Clinic listeners and FT readers are telling us. Briefly, and there's more on the Generation Rent website um, and Instagram page, what can you do if you're a tenant in that situation? The important thing to remember is that this is usually, unless it's a formal notice, this is normally your landlord just trying it on, basically. It's often the, the letting agent who's doing that because the letting ha agent has even more of an incentive to push up the rent. They'll rents. get a percentage of the rent. Indeed, yeah. yes. So, yeah, landlords, in, in our experience, tend to be a bit more willing to, to keep a tenant on, you know, someone who's reliably paid the, pay the rent for, for the past year. But what you can do is, is look at what other properties nearby are going for. You should also think about just yourself as a tenant, have you been reliable? Would the landlord be taking a risk if you moved out? Um, you should also just try to understand, is the property you're living in, is it actually decent quality to be relet? So if there's anything wrong with it, then you can go back to your landlord and say, actually, we don't think this property is worth what, you, what you're wanting for it. Mm. Um, you know, there might be negotiation you can do in terms of, you know, if you do pay a higher rent, can they make repairs or improvements to the property as well? Sure. And, and also, 
Azure website says you can keep, when you're negotiating with your landlord, until you've signed a new rental contract, the rent will stay the same. I mean, obviously, they could take steps to do a Section 21, a notable mm-hmm. eviction notice, um, and go through the motions with that. But you do have the opportunity to negotiate. It's not like on the date that the tenancy runs out, that's it, the rent's going up. Um, the onus is on you to, to start that conversation. Yeah, that's right. So you are vulnerable to a Section 21, which is uh, an, an eviction notice the landlord can use and they don't need a reason to. And they can also formally raise the rent with a, with a formal notice, um, but you can challenge that at a tribunal. Sure. Well, Timmy, you um, have rented for a long time and you're actually the embodiment of the original question, should I move out of London um, to save money, live somewhere different? Because... You've done just that. Tell us a little bit about that and what advice you'd give people. So I know that the market is slightly different now, but don't just factor in your rent if you're moving. Also factor in the cost of travel because you're just you're going to have to do that anyway. Um, I have just moved out of London to Brighton. Unfortunately, I cannot recommend that as a cost of living tip because Brighton's very expensive. <laughs> um, but that is just a financial metric. What I have gotten from moving to Brighton is a much slower, much more relaxed um, happier pace of life. You know, on a Sunday evening, seemingly everyone in Brighton will just be on the beach watching the sunset, you know, and it's, it's a lot nicer. And I think in times when, um, I'm not saying this to be a downer, but like things are going to take months, if not years, to get better economically, we must prioritize for well-being, happiness, mm. purpose, all of the non-financial metrics that actually make life worth living. Okay, well, we're going to move on from property now to pensions. Now, Timmy um, and then and then Margot, a question came in before the event from people saying, I'm really strapped for cash right now. Um, would I, you know, what, what would the consequences be if I stopped paying into the company pension? Um, so, Timmy, we'll get you to, to, to tackle that first. But then another question has come in. We're going to go to, to these next um, from somebody saying, is it better to pay into my company pension or invest um, into an ISA? So, Margot, maybe you could tackle that one. So, so, Timmy, people are thinking about saving money by stopping paying into their pension. Yeah, that's a very difficult position to be in. Um, and it's something that I've heard people raise a lot. So without giving any specific pension advice, all, all I would say to the asker is to try and pay in the minimum. So if you're an employee, you'll be paying in um, 4% of your gross earnings into a pension. You'll get 1% tax relief on that. So that'll be five from you and then 3% from your employer. If you pay in that minimum, you will get that 3% minimum contribution from your employer and some employers will pay, will pay even more. And this is free money from your company, essentially. It's like a, getting a free pay rise. And opting and out is similarly a pay cut. A pay cut. I mean, if you're in a really bad place and it's the only way that you can free up some cash to pay down very expensive debt or temporarily stop your, your, your contributions, I think everyone on, on the panel agree it's not a nice lever to have to pull, but it, as a last resort, it is something that you can do. I would say for me, the most important thing is restarting those contributions as soon as you can. If yep. you can do what Timmy says and drop them down to a, to a lower level, that's one way of dealing with it. If you do have to stop, then don't forget to, to, to start again. Now, Margot, the second question um, that we had come in, which is all about investing into a company pension versus investing into a stocks and shares ISA, comes back to your point at the beginning about that free money yeah. that we can get from our employers. 
Absolutely. So we usually recommend uh, a three steps checklist before people start investing on their own. The first one, as you mentioned, is get out of high interest debt. So that is consumer debt. It's not your student debt and it's not your mortgage because those fall into a different category of debt. The second one is build an emergency fund. So you don't want to start investing on your own before you have that emergency fund. And the third one is max out your employer contribution, the free money, as you mentioned. Now, once you've done those three steps and you feel comfortable starting to invest in the stock market, um, I really recommend starting first with educating yourself on what is out there. Don't go blind because fees matter a lot when it comes to investing. Um, and some of the platforms that kind of prey on beginners actually charge quite high fees. So you can get educated. It's really not as difficult as it's made out to be. In a few hours, you can, you can learn everything you need to know about passive investing. Um, and you'll be saving a lot of money on fees and making much more confident investment decisions. <clears throat> A great, a great answer. Now, slightly different way um, of asking this either-or question, which I'm going to put to Jason. Um, is it better to invest um, in your stocks and shares ISA with any spare money that you've got to hand, or pay off your mortgage? Question from a property owner. Um, I don't think it's either-or. I think it very much depends on your preferences. So, uh, if I was being pragmatic, I'd say do both. Mm. Pay a little bit off your mortgage. And, and invest regularly into a global equity index fund. Not a recommendation. Um, <laughs> so, because that's just a no-brainer. You're, you're going to get the market return and you're not going to overpay for it, right? Okay. However, having paid off my own mortgage, for me, it was a big sense of achievement to say we own all of our house. No one can ever take it away from us. When you've got no payments going out, you can then invest. So, as we're moving into a period where we have higher cost of borrowing, particularly on mortgages, overpaying mortgages, whether that's regular or one-off amounts that come in, starts to become more attractive than investing in the stock market. And the other thing is, if we, if we have a period of, of, of property stagnation, even if there's not a fall, um, it's quite nice to be able to get your loan to value down. So the more equity you can build into your property, perhaps that could be a strategy for when you come up for renewal, um, if you can get yourself below sort of have more than 25% equity for when you come up to it, that might make sense. Either by putting the money aside in cash and then using it to lump it down or overpaying as you go. Um, or you might want to think, well, OK, put some of that in the stocks and shares ISA and then might want to take some of that out. But there could be a chance that that's falling in value in the next three or four years. So I don't think I think everyone's different, but things are changing. Okay. Um, while we're on the subject of interest rates, which could go up again um, this week, a um, really good question has, has come in about why haven't interest rates on savings accounts gone up as much and where can I get the best deal? Timmy, are you um, aware of where the best deals are currently as we speak? About 5% I think you can get on, on regular savers. That's you can get 7 Oh, first direct. I've actually started to see um, more and more banks say that savings rates are going up. But savings rates generally will never be as high as the equivalent rates on consumer debt. Um, so that's just one thing to be to be mindful of, which is why Margot says you should pay off high interest debt before before saving. But um, yeah, regular savers, um, which are the types of savings accounts where you have to pay every month and then you get a lump sum interest payment at the end, are offering some of the highest interest rates at the moment right now. Some will let you pay into it monthly and then you have to keep your money in the savings account for a whole year and some will let you withdraw when you want to just figure that out for yourself because i opened the first direct regular saver and then wanted to 
um, withdraw my money and they were like, you have to close it. So that's uh, just something that I, I found out. Um, and uh, whether you can withdraw the money or not, I actually really like regular savers because they help you to build a habit of saving mm. monthly. I'm totally with you. I, I have a, a regular saver. I did really? one with Nationwide, which was the best um, rate 12 months ago. And it's, just, it's a good discipline to, uh, to get into. You have to save the, the fixed amount of money that you want to put aside every month into this account. Um, and then at the end of 12 months, boom, you get the, the whole lot back with, with interest. It's also just worth mentioning, if you or anyone you know uh, is receiving or, in, or entitled to even a pound of means-tested benefits, you can open the government's Help to Save account and you save between one to 50 pounds a month for up to two years and they give you 50% return into your bank account, risk-free, tax-free, and then you can continue it for another two years and they do the same thing. So and that, that's if you're on universal credit, um, income support, those kinds of benefits. Legacy but, benefits. But again, you only have to receive a, a very, very small amount. Pound. You have to yeah. have an entitlement to a pound, and okay, you, and then and at the time save. you open the account. And it's the most, un and you can have instant access to your money. That and pension credit are the two most underutilised sort of real benefits, really. Okay, um, very good point. It's come in um, over the iPad. Should I use a regular saver to save for my emergency fund? Well, that's a bit of a curveball, isn't it? Yeah. You can't get the money, as you said. No, do you know what? <laughs> I closed it, but I will reopen it in the new year. The reason why I closed it was because I did the max. So 300 pounds was going in every month. And I got to this month, I was like, I have no money left in my current account, what am I doing? So I closed it, but I will probably start it again in the new year with a much smaller monthly saving amount. And I think in a way, it is kind of appropriate for an emergency fund because you literally have to break the glass open to be able to withdraw the money. Now, credit scores. Some follow-up questions coming in from the panel. Margot, I'll put this one to you first. I'm, I'm 18. I have a credit score of 266. Now, normally it's scored out of 1,000, so that's pretty low. I've been rejected from two different credit card providers. How can I increase my chances? Mm. What do you... I mean, credit cards are a big topic of conversation on, on your genome. Absolutely. Um, so the first piece of advice, as Jason said, is you're already paying a rent payment if you are renting a home, so make sure to report those rent payments um, to the credit rating agency. You can use... that build up your... People, people say you have a thin file. It's about exactly. the only thing about me that's thin, unfortunately, <laughs> at this stage of my life. Because I don't borrow lots of money on credit cards, I don't have much of a, much of a credit record. And people who are really young, maybe they've got a phone contract, because that counts as credit. Exactly. Uh, but they won't necessarily be on any bills, which is another exactly. important way that people and can then, check them out. And um, then you also have credit builder cards. So they're not like credit cards. Um, so you add money every month and it contributes to your credit score. So that's one alternative. Um, they tend to be more accessible and um, an 18-year-old is likely to be approved for that. Um, so that would be my recommendation. Okay, interest rates uh, on those can be I'm really just a comment. High. I wouldn't be taking out a credit card. Uh, credit cards are not your friend. I'm totally against them. They were the worst thing I ever had. Just don't go there. If you don't have a credit card, you can't get into debt. The key to staying out of debt is not taking out debt. Don't give yourself stories about points and protections and all that. I just think they are the devil. We're going to wrap up with uh, the final question that came in over the iPad about um, the panel's rules that they, money rules that they try and live their life by. I'm going to start off with me very briefly. Um, my um, top tip, which I reveal in my forthcoming book, What They Don't Teach You About Money, <laughs> is called 
the sort it out on Sunday system. Now, I think a lot of needless spending um, happens because we're not organised and we're not well planned. I missed one of my A-level exams um, at the age of 18 because I was not organised and that was like a turning point in my life. So on Sunday, I make a point of going through my diary. I still have a paper diary. Um, it's got a financial to-do list at the back um, with things for me to tick off because I like to have a visual record um, of what I'm doing. I work out what days I need to be in the office, what days I can work from home, thoughts about what me and my husband are going to eat. Um, but it's all about thinking ahead. Even if you can save a few pounds a day by being strategic, all of those little savings um, over the course of the week um, add up and it helps you to um, think about the bigger picture more if you've got the smaller picture um, down pat. But Margot, what, what would your money rule that you live your life by be? Um, I think something that we haven't spoken at all about today is money in relationships. And it's something we're seeing a lot in the community. Women who are losing their financial independence to a partner and then find themselves in really tricky situations after. So to have a little bit of a catchy, cheesy phrase, um, a man is not a plan, I would say. I've heard say that before. <laughs> money rule to live by. No matter how committed the relationship, make sure to have an emergency fund on the side and to always keep the knowledge of what's happening with your finances, um, even if you're managing them as a couple so that you can have an exit strategy if you need to. Great. And, and just to add, I think that's great advice for anyone yeah. um, who's watching, you know, whether you're a man, a woman, gay, straight, whatever always have your own sense of, of your own money and your own financial independence. It's absolutely crucial. Put on your own oxygen mask first. Um, Timmy, what was your money rule to live your life by, B? I think mine is that not all returns are financial. So make sure that you can pay for your living costs, your rent and your bills and stuff. But for goodness sake, like spend money on things that bring you joy, spend money on your health, spend money on things that make the world a better place, particularly over the coming months and years, because we're going to need it. Really good. Like the sentiment of that. Dan, your money rule you live your life by? Um, just thinking back as to, to, to what has served me well, and it's learning how to cook. Um, Great. And this was probably about 10 years ago. I just remember going into work. Everyone was like going off to prep and stuff. I had like a Tupperware full of Coco Van <laughs> that I'd cooked. And I was like, I mean, this is, this is messy as hell, but anyway, it, it tastes good. I'm really glad I learned how to do it. No, I think, I, I think that's great. I'm a big advocate of, uh, of that. And Jason, money rules that you live your life? Um, yeah, I just don't give money too much power over my life. Um, it's important. You have to respect it. You have to give it attention. You have to be comfortable holding on to cash. So my view is that don't define your life as really going from what Timmy said based on how much you earn or how much you've accumulated or not because you are a human being not a human sort of doing and a human consuming and money is merely just a tool as we said remember it's important but it's not the be all and end all and if you don't have much money or you're feeling a bit behind focus on getting good people in your life and doing what you can to help support other people because that will make you the richest person in the world seriously absolutely Thanks again to all of our panellists at the Flick Young, Gifted and Broke event. To follow more about our campaign and obtain free money-mastering resources, just search for FT Flick online. That's F-L-I-C. For more information about your rights as a tenant, do check out the Generation Rent website. Jason Butler is on Instagram and Twitter. He's at JB the Wealth Man. Timmy is at Mr Money Jar. 
And last but not least, you can check out the Your Juno app on at Your Juno, J-U-N-O, on Instagram. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, then get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, Money Clinic Podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.